Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I don't know if you can hear, but I'm sitting in an empty room because we're moving and this room used to be my studio, but now it's empty. So if you hear that little echo, I'm sorry about that. Thanks for being so forgiving, but I'm sitting here and I'm just like, everything is stripped away in this room. And I'm thinking like, if all is stripped away, what do I really want to say? And what I really want to say, I posted it yesterday on my Instagram. It says, if you're here, you're needed. God does not make extras. And I really hope you hear that whether you believe in God or a higher intelligence or whatever you call it, or if you're just amazed that you're here because the odds of you being here are one in 400 trillion. That's correct. That's actually a fact. I'm telling you that if you're here, somebody right now needs you exactly as you are, that you were put here for a huge assignment. You've been assigned. And I know I've said that to you before, but I want to keep saying it because that's why I'm doing this show. I'm doing this show week after week so that you get that you're needed. And I know that the craziest thing is that every person I meet, the thing that stands in their way is this feeling of I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. And I'm here to say that you are <laughs> all of us exactly as we are the messy parts, the broken parts, all of it, just you. So I hope that this show is giving you courage to take another step forward. And I want to hear about it. I want to celebrate you more. So DM me um, or email me. You can DM me on Instagram at kathy.heller or you can email me because I want to be sharing more of those stories and sharing them on the podcast and having people on and interviewing you. I don't care how little you think the step is. It's huge. And it gives other people permission and sometimes people want to learn from someone who took a step who's three steps ahead of them, not necessarily like 30,000 steps ahead of them. Like that could even be more inspiring to hear from another normal person, not a celebrity, you know? So please share. And this is an amazingly hard season. So I am so incredibly proud of all of us for just getting through it. If you want to hang out, I'm going to be doing a summit Monday and Tuesday. It's virtual August 3rd and 4th. And we have amazing speakers, Patrice Washington and Ahayana Angel, Tommy Makanjula, Lindsay and Krista from Almost 30, Amy Tangerine. There's a bunch of awesome people speaking and I'm going to be doing a giveaway on my Instagram. So if you come to my Instagram at kathy.heller, I'll be giving away tickets today and tomorrow. So come on over and check that out. And, um, let's talk about today's episode, just how I was talking to you about how sometimes it's inspiring to learn from someone who's taking those few steps ahead. Today we have Tarzan K on the show and she is so inspiring because she was able to make hundreds of thousands of dollars from just having a very small email list. And that is so mind blowing. And she's going to tell you the whole story today of how she did that. She's an amazing writer and an educator on all things about money and earning money and growing your money and helping others make more money. And she's just unapologetically herself. She doesn't do things the way other people do. I think you're going to find her story really inspiring. So let's get right to it. Without further ado, please welcome Tarzan Kay. Tarzan, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Kathy. You're such a rock star, literally a rock star. If you guys go to tarzank.com and you check out what she has going on, which you should, because she has this incredible quiz. 
And the name of the quiz is, what's your 80s pricing persona? Are you a baller like Bowie or do you need a little more wax on, wax off? And then it's all about like, take this quiz to discover what drives your pricing decisions so you can quote with confidence and close hella huge money deals and have big product launches. I mean, I had to mention that first because it's striking. Like your whole vibe is very unique to you. Okay, so I fully receive that. And I also want to say it's totally calculated. And I do have like this rock star vibe. And I think I can own it and say like, I'm a star. But the whole, like one of the reasons I brought David Bowie into my business, he had this way of carrying himself like a star before he was a star. Like it was very calculated. When nobody knew who he was, he was like taking limos everywhere and like, presenting himself like this abstract canvas and it was like oh look he's a star even though like a hundred people know about him and anyone can do this like it's really a question of like how you show up like a star and people will believe you are a star I love that you were so generous and being vulnerable and just like going for it right at the beginning of the show there is something about like take your seat at the table And don't apologize. Mm. And then if you're sitting in the room and you feel this sort of confidence, like I belong here, other people are, they're listening, (laughs) they're there. Uh, I think that people are waiting for someone to just own it, like show up. And I think by you just like owning it, you open the door. Okay. I completely agree. And another layer of this is like, I I have a music background like you. And when I was a teenager and probably even into my twenties, like it was deeply ingrained in my brain that I almost had to like be discovered. And even in the early days of my business, when I was freelancing, I was like, why doesn't anyone know how talented I am? Like, why aren't people lining up to pay me to like write their websites or whatever? And it took time to like, really understand the concept of choosing yourself and being like, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm really good at it. I'm just going to show up and do it and charge what the work is worth. Like even if nobody else knows it yet. Oh my God. I wish I had a highlighter and could just like go back through your words and just make them fluorescent pink because (laughs) that is so good. And Andy J pizza, my friend who hosts creative pep talk, he says, it seems like creative people are always waiting for their fairy art mother. You know, you're waiting for Clive Mm -hmm. Davis to say like, I found you in the back of a church singing gospel. Here's your ticket to Hollywood. Like everyone's waiting for the the moment, the big break, right? And you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, choose yourself. There's so much that I want to talk about in terms of your journey, but I, I know that you are so wise and you deliver with such punch some of these tactics. And one of your specialties is email and writing great copy. And I want to know from your perspective, what are the ingredients that make that really work where someone will actually open an email or someone will actually respond? Okay. Uh, there's a lot, but I think also like one thing I always want people to know is like so many things hold them back, entrepreneurs back from sending email. Like they're scared that people won't like it. People will be annoyed. Like they already get too much email. I don't have anything interesting to say. Like there's all this emotional chow chow that stops people from writing email. And the fact is, is like your first email is like, they're not going to be that great. Like the main thing like great writers get better by writing. So yes, I can like, we'll talk about some ingredients for great email, but the most important thing when it comes to email is showing up consistently, Mm -hmm. like, which means like weekly or biweekly. I started off with a biweekly email to my list 
I could not believe it. A year later, when I made an offer to them for the first time, I was blown away. I was like, oh, this is the power of consistency in building relationships. So in terms of what makes a good email, for one thing, like my emails are powerful because they're very personal and I'm very open. Like I'm not bleeding wound open, like, but I really, like I share the real stuff. When things are hard, I share it. I don't share it after, like I share it in the middle. And uh, that's like feedback that I get over and over and over is like, thanks for being real Tarzan. Thanks for sharing the real stuff. So I think that's the number one thing. A lot of people feel like, well, if like, let's say you're in, you're a business strategist. I write for a lot of those types or I have written for a lot of those types of people. So I know the messaging really well. A really common thing is like, well, I can't email my list about my launch if I didn't make a million dollars because I don't have credibility yet. Well, actually what is way more powerful is when you bring people on the journey with you. So yeah, like I share the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the good is, I think it's, it's well received by them because they've been with me on the journey and it doesn't just feel like, it doesn't feel braggy. It doesn't feel like, oh, here's like another out of reach thing. They're like, oh, okay. So she did this, that didn't work. Then she did this and that's working. So authenticity is huge. Like just showing up and being real and like sharing real stuff. But of course, like there's nuts and bolts, like a great subject line. That's really important. And you get better at it by doing it. Like there's lots of great subject line swipe files. I think Laura Belgrade has one. She has an awesome one. Yeah. You could download it. a great one. Yeah. I use it all the time. I own the program, the copy cure that she's also done. There's a great swipe in there as well. There's co-schedule has a subject line analyzer like a little really easy tip. You can add a question mark on the end of almost anything. It becomes a curiosity provoking uh, subject line. Yep. There's like things you can do selectively, like subject lines that sort of sound personal. Like they came from a friend, like all lowercase you coming question mark. Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. a great show up email. Yep. Um, but these little things, like you learn them, you get better at them by sending email consistently and also just by paying attention to what's in your inbox and what you naturally want to open and what you ignore. The reason I asked you that question and I asked it to you so soon in the show is because it's something that you really do. You teach it and, 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 and you've done so much in your work. And so why email? Like, why is that the thing that you really lean into? Why do you feel that helps a person's business? Why is that the thing that you feel like is at the heart of what you decided to spend a lot of time teaching? Well, any other strategy, it like has to be piled on top of email. I feel like email is the real basis. Like, let's say you have a great Instagram following. Well, yeah, like you can convert some people to your, your offer through Instagram. That's great, but it's going to work like a hundred times better if you are using that platform to, to drive traffic to your email opt-in and getting those people on your email list. Like, sure. I always felt like email is the base and I needed to have that really dialed in before adding other stuff. Also... I discovered really early, this was like sort of serendipitous, but in my first year of business, I entered this email copywriting competition. And this is actually how I came to work with Amy Porterfield. And it's an interesting story. So they had this email copywriting challenge. It was a three-day thing and it was hosted by Joanna Weeb, who is, um, she's very well known in the copywriting world. So she was hosting the competition 
along with Rye Schwartz, who was Amy Porterfield's copywriter at the time. So I was like, I'm going to enter this competition. I'm going to work really hard. And in the middle of it, I was like, oh, actually, I'm going to win this. I'm going to do everything And what I would you win if you, if you won? What was the, what was the prize? So there was a cash prize of $1,500. You got a ticket to um, some business event and then their course, their upcoming course, t- 10x emails, which I probably would have bought anyway. So at the time, that was like a huge prize, but mostly the big prize for me was like, I want to be on the radar of those two people and I'm going to do that by winning this competition. Okay. And they, neither of them had heard of me. They were like, who is this Tarzan? And um, of course I won because I wanted to win and I did everything I could to win. And uh, that was the true prize was like being on Joanna and Rise radar. I later joined Joanna's mastermind and continued to build that relationship. And Rye, I built a friendship with him and he eventually referred Amy Porterfield <laughs> to me. And then you started working for Amy on her team. Then I, yes, exactly. I did that for, so I wrote her newsletters for, let's say a year, like her podcast emails. And uh, she always gave me like the most interesting projects. Like she would throw really fun stuff at me. Like our first project together, I did this major audit of one of her sales funnels. We don't do very much work together anymore, but every so often she'll come to me with like a really interesting project. And I, I say yes, because anything I do that's associated with her is amazing. always pays off. Yeah. <laughs> now let's go back for a second. That is so cool. I love that story. I want to go back to how this all happened because there was a time where you had graduated from music school. You went to law school for three years and dropped out. And is it true that you took law school in French? Yes. That's incredible as just like an aside. And then you talked before about how you always put everything out there. And it's true that you do in such a, it's so beautiful because it makes people feel so much less alone and like not everybody's so perfect. And there was a time where you weren't so you know, well off. There was a time where you weren't able to pay, you know, part of the rent and there was a lot of uncertainty. So how did you go from that place to the first big breakthrough? How did that happen? That shift? Okay. I'm going to give the, the cliff notes version, but after three years of law school, I just felt so broken and so sad and so alone. Like law school was, it's such a pressure cooker, but also like I didn't just go to a French university. I went to like the most Quebecois university. Like, I don't know. I just felt like such a black sheep in the worst way. Like I struggled to speak French. I struggled to connect with other like French speaking Quebecois people. And also they were law students. I had come from music school. Like I did not fit in. By the end of three years of law school, I had a serious eating disorder. I was so sad all the time. My boyfriend broke up with me, who no, I thought was like this, gonna, this train wreck. wreck. Yeah, it, I, I was a train wreck. And I was like, I'm not doing life. I'm moving to yeah. Australia. And <laughs> I did. So moved to Australia, was like, I'm out of here. And when I was in Australia, I did many jobs. I was a lounge singer. I cleaned hotel rooms. Like I did so many different things. And one of the things I did was like someone hired me to be, I had no experience and no business doing this, to manage their social media accounts and to write blogs. And that was when I discovered copywriting, that copywriting was a thing. 
And when I came back to Canada, wow. that, that guy kept me on to do a various things. And I started looking for other clients, not very successfully. And then I met my now partner. Then we had a baby through all of that. Like I still had no idea about success and money and, and doing things online. I just was dabbling. But when my son was one year old, my partner and I, he was like, I want to stay home and be a full-time dad. And I was like, great. I want to start a business. And so that was January, 2016. And I went all in, like I rented an office and I went there every day. It. Yeah. I'm in a rented office. For, that's so me. I would have thought that like, okay, I haven't even begun. Don't have one client, but I'm going to get a brick and mortar. Let's get the whole picture yes. going. You're well, awesome. I love it. All in. We, uh, there were a couple things going for us. My partner had, he had bought a duplex like in several years prior to me meeting him. Smarty so pants. we, yeah, really great investment there. Our tenants downstairs paid the mortgage. Yeah, and that was, I was so grateful to that in my early yeah. days yeah. of starting my business. And then we lived upstairs, but like we had a small child, like there is just yeah. no way that I could be on the same floor as this one-year-old kid who's like wild. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's this, a whole this, side story. Yeah. And, and the reason I even hinted at it is because it is important for people to hear that at some, at some point they're going to hear you wound up being the breadwinner and you're a mom and you're balancing all of it because 86% of this audience is female. And I think that that's, I just wanted to plant the seed and them understanding what it's like that you can juggle this, that you can find fulfillment in your work. No one's mm. saying it's easy street, but it's, it's doable. And we're both, you and I are both in that situation. So I think that that's really cool. Oh. Like my husband's yeah. home and I'm working and oh my gosh, all the things. Okay. So can we go back to, you got the place. You're not a millionaire at this point. The, the cash is not rolling in and yet you go all in. No. And we how did you go from making a little bit of money to this exploding? Okay. So we had at the time $4,000. That's all we had in the bank. And that was equivalent to like about a month of living expenses. So uh, I had a month of cushion. And the first thing I did was join B school in fe like that would have been February. And that felt like such a big investment. Like the yeah, exchange rate two grand yeah. and you've had to pay the exchange rate. So you basically spent most of the four grand on a course. Yeah. So that's right. Actually, it was two grand. The exchange rate was a dollar 40 at the time. And, oh, and I took the payment plan. So let's say it was, it was like near $3,000. Um, I never used our family money to invest in my business ever. Not once. I put that first payment on a credit card and crossed my fingers and was like, I have to make this work. I, have since learned that I function very well with a fire at my feet and not everyone is like that. I just had to hustle and make it work. And when I joined B-School, like I did everything. I was like, I didn't have clients. I had full time to work on my business. I just like implemented everything. And what I discovered was the whole idea of online community. Like I didn't know there were other people working online. And in that Facebook group, I met so many friends. I got a lot of clients. Like my first month, I don't know, it might've even been during B-School or after B-School. Let's say this is like April, 2016. I made $7,500. 
I could not believe it. That was like more money than I had ever seen. Like the most money I'd ever made in a year was $15,000. Because you told people in the community, I write copy. If you need help, let me know. Now, let me ask you this because B-School is a beast. She has poured every single detail of business building into it. It is like video upon video upon video, and it goes really, really nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people feel it is incredible value, but people feel overwhelmed. Like, oh my gosh, how Mm -hmm. will I ever complete it? What part of it, of the teaching of it, what was one of the concepts that really helped you shift your business? Okay, so a lot of the concepts, like the overarching concepts were super familiar to me. Like you have to have a website with an opt-in and then you have to email those people. But in my head, like all of these concepts were just a big jumble and I didn't, I needed B-School to walk me through like week by week today. And I'd never done an online course before. So like this week I'm doing this, this week I'm doing this. Yeah. Probably one of the bigger ones that produced the big return for me was the offerings module. And just like for the first time ever, I put up three offers on my website with like pretty little pricing boxes. And I think the three offers were you know, it was like a low ticket mid tier and what I thought was high ticket at the time. So the low ticket was like, I will write one page of your website for like, I don't know, $197 or something. The high ticket, which was in the middle was about $2,000. I will write your five page website. And then the mid tier was like, I will write it with you for some price in the middle. Nobody ever bought that which I've since learned the mid-tier thing when I put it on my website, no one ever gets it. It's mostly just to put the other prices in perspective. Now, Um, what is it about putting offers out there? That is really fascinating. First of all, we all know we need to have a website with an opt-in, but we don't always do it. I love that you just reiterated like, guys, like you need to have a way to nurture your audience. But then when it comes to the offer, and by the way, this is why one of the reasons I loved your quiz, the fact that your quiz is about offers and pricing you really go for the jugular there because I think that when it all is said and done, the hardest part is to put up the offer. We're afraid that we're going to say a price and people won't like it or they'll never click on it. Or who are we to even put something up there? Or should we even say the price? Should we get them on the phone first? And should we really quietly whisper the price because we're so afraid to share what the offers are? And you said this as like top three things that you walk away with. Now, why is that so important for people listening to really come to know what your offers are and to put them out there? Well, it's so much harder for people to buy from you if they don't have some sort of framework for what it looks like to work with you. Like immediately when you have an offer and whether you list the price or not, there's good arguments on both sides. But, you know, even if you give them something to start with, like here's what it looks like to write a done for you website or like here's what it looks like for me to help you get your, I don't know, design your landing page or whatever, right? Like you're giving them something to start with and they can come back to you and be like, okay, so this package looks really good, but I don't need this. Plus I need that. Like if they have to invent a way to work with you, it's too much labor, intellectual labor there. And it creates friction. They're just going to go to the next site where someone else has taken the first step for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember we had Joy Cho on the podcast and she said, when she was first doing her art and design, which is what she does, 
she would reach out to people like Johnson and Johnson and say, oh, I love your band-aids, but let me make them pretty. And these are the designs I could do. And here are three offers. Here's a couple packages of what I could do. I could do a whole redesign. I could just do a couple. And it's so important to give somebody a menu. Like, yes, here's the choices. And that's just a place to start. And then if they come back and say, no, 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 none of this is right for me or this is too expensive, but at least you're right. There's a conversation. And I, I think you are such a spitfire and you're so smart. And I want to talk about this quiz because when you go into it, you obviously created a quiz around pricing because it's not just about having offers up. You have a sense, and I can tell from this quiz that people have a hard time pricing the offer and they're not sure how to, like you say at the beginning of this episode, to own it. Mm -hmm. How do we know how to price an offer? How do we know when it's too high, when it's too low? Who are we to price an offer? Who are we to put it out there and ask for too much? Like, what are all your thoughts around that? Okay. So there's like so much at play when it comes to pricing your offers. And I think the main thing to know is like, you put the price on it and then you have to learn from your pricing. So let's say I make you an offer and it's $1,000 and I get on five sales calls and nobody buys it. Okay, so the pricing is probably off. It doesn't mean it's too high. It could also be too low. But you have to put a price on something and you have to test it. So if it's not selling, like, let's try a different pricing. And also, like, can we please just remove some of the emotional attachment to our prices? Like, we get so, like... Oh, we put all, all of our money stuff on the client. Like you think $1,000 is a lot of money. Therefore you assume that the client thinks it's a lot of money. Meanwhile, like, let's say I'm the client. I might be looking at that $1,000 and being like, how much are you really going to do for $1,000? Like, I don't really buy this. I had this exact experience actually with an event manager that I worked with who was phenomenal. I did an event with my business partner, Sage Polaris back in... September, she's my business partner for this one particular project. And in the midst of planning this event, I was like, oh my God, I am so overwhelmed. I need help. And so I posted on Facebook and this woman, Alicia from Eventistry, she reached out to me and she was like, I can help you. So I got on a call with her. Here's all the things I can do. Let's just pretend that the price was $3,000. Okay. That was not the price, but uh, here's all the things I'm going to do. And it's going to be $3,000. And I was like, okay, wait a second. That is so many things for $3,000. Like if she had told me $15,000, I might've been like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. And even Sage and I had these conversations about it. We were like, she's promising the moon, but it's so little money. And so these are the conversations. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yeah. So we have to have a little bit of detachment around our prices and always think about it like I'm testing. Like, of course you have to be able to deliver that much value. I'm assuming that you can deliver that much value, yeah. but you have to test your offers. And sometimes like if you're selling something again and again, you might be like, oh, okay. Now the more you sell a particular offer, like I used to do a lot of day rate work and that's the perfect example. I started at a thousand dollars a day and over like by the time I stopped doing day rate work, I was at 5,500. 
I just incrementally raised it and raised it because every time I did one, I was like, this is incredible value. And I understood the value for the client. Like they get to skip the line and get on my calendar really yeah. quickly. They yeah. get their deliverable really fast. Like I started to understand all the different benefits of this offer and the better I felt about it, the more I could charge for it. So like you have to think about your pricing as fluid. Like you don't just put a price on it and that's the price forever. Yeah. I love you're what you're saying. It. You're trying things. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it is that, you know, you just really did a good job of shining a light on the fact that there are people who would think that you're actually charging too little, right? And what that brings up is that a lot of people are always thinking, and I've heard this come out of so many people's mouths, Kathy, nobody will pay me that. Nobody will pay me that much. Don't want to pay me that much. And we have this sort of like, we look at like the, the lowest denominator of like mm. the people who can't pay and we're like trying to price things for them, right? Yes. And when Ramit Sethi was here, he said something so brilliant, which is like, choose a different fishing hole. You know, like there's going to mm. be people at the fair who won't pay you that much for like a drawing, you know, mm. but if you reached out to corporate and told them that you could do private parties and do, do drawings for an hour and a half, they're going to pay you hundreds of dollars, right? So mm -hmm. you need to know who to sort of reach and how do you position yourself so that you're finding the clients who can pay you. Um, rather than trying to play to everybody who can't afford it. Yeah. So oftentimes, like just by virtue of having higher prices, you attract different people. And this is especially true. Like I spent years doing copywriting and the competition for jobs at like the 50 to a hundred dollar rate is fierce. There's wow. just, there are so many people charging an hourly rate and it gets like, as you charge less and less, like it gets even worse. The competition mm -hmm. for $25 an hour work is like way higher. Wow. Um, so just by virtue of charging more, you will attract different people, but you like, they need to know you're going to be more expensive. So you got to drop some hints on your website, either by just putting your prices out there and that's always been my strategy is like just being very upfront about my prices. I have very rarely done sales calls with people who don't know the price of something. I just like, I always take the stance and I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but you know, I've always just been like, well, there's so many things I could do in my business. Like there's so many demands on me. If I'm going to take the time to do sales calls, like I just want to close like 70% of them at least. Yeah. So I've always been upfront about my prices, but there are other ways to hint at what you are going to cost. And like, what would that if, be? Okay. Well, beautiful branding. Like no one who looks at my mm. website thinks they're going to hire me for a hundred dollars an hour. There's absolutely no way. So like if your website or like wherever you're showing up, so like, let's say you're showing up on Facebook. Well, if there's like a messy bed in the background and like cats running around, like oh. you, everything about you is, is screaming, like I'm cheap, hire me. I'm the least expensive option. <laughs> on the other hand, like I had early in my business, I had these earrings and my mom gave, or my mom loaned them to me. I had these beautiful antique gold earrings and she had worn them early in her career. And she, I know like she bought them at a flea market for $500, which was a huge purchase yeah. for her at the time. And it still is for most people, right? Anyway, I would put these earrings on and I was like, I am gold, like these earrings. Like this is, look at me. Like I, nothing about me looks like I would be cheap. Like it's also just a question of how you show up. Like 
how do you present yourself? Like, yeah. are you wearing yoga pants? Cause you might have a yoga pants mentality, even if people can't see them. Right, right, right. I totally hear that. I think we're really talking about money and people have a lot of money stuff. And I know that that's something that you really help people with. And what do you think is the greatest, most common roadblock people have when it comes to money, when it comes to their relationship with charging for things? What, what have you seen that really gets in people's way and how do we, how do we overcome that mindset? I know exactly what it is. Okay. Um, most people do not look at their numbers. And I'm like, why? This is causing you so much stress. Like the basics of like, what does it cost you to run your household? Like the bare minimum, how much do you need to make? Okay, that's your threshold that you need to pay yourself. Like so many entrepreneurs, freelancers are the worst for this, but this is so common that entrepreneurs don't pay themselves a salary. They just like take a little bit of money out here and there. Like that is a major issue it has to be dealt with. But you, when it comes to running your business, like I did invest so much in my business. You know, now my expenses are like about 30%, 35% that's very low in the beginning. Like I reinvested a lot more, but either way, like in the beginning of my business, and I see this with people at so many stages of business, they're just like blind to their numbers. They don't have a profit and loss statement. They don't. But the thing is, is yeah, they're not looking at them because it's too scary. But the thing is, is like, that's, what's making it so much worse. Like I have found, why is the, why is knowing your profit and loss something that's going to help you figure out how to charge for things or have confidence around charging? How is that related? Cause I think that the money stuff comes from like a feeling of not being worthy of it or shame around charging. You want to be a good mm. person or money is all your money, your own, like you said before, you you put your money stuff on other people, but you're saying yeah. knowing your numbers is what's related to your biggest roadblock with, with pricing and making more money. Yeah. So, okay. All that stuff you just mentioned is really important. And we have to, we have to work on that. Like doing the work of like, understanding my value, like as an entrepreneur, but also like as a woman, as a mother and all that stuff, like that is constant work. And that has to be done. Like I'm doing that work. I'm definitely doing that. Um, on the entrepreneur side, like, okay, as an example, this year I wanted to make a million dollars. I didn't make a million dollars. And I was like, I didn't make a million dollars. Anyway, I wasn't too sad about it because I did really well, but I sat down and I looked at my numbers like for last year and this year. And I was like, Oh, actually my revenue grew by 76% this year. Like, wow, that's freaking incredible. Like go Tarzan. Um, another thing is like, I like have resistance around hiring support. Like in my head, I'm like, I'm so scared to hire someone. Like, what if I have to fire them? What if I run out of money? Blah, 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 blah. When I'm like telling myself all these stories, but if I just look at the numbers and like what's in my account and what is like available for these different things, like, well, the numbers don't lie. So I just feel like when we look at that, it decreases so much stress and allows you to like, just take responsibility. Like, so what if you spent $10,000 on courses? Like, can you just look at that number and like, let's just be grateful for it and like feel peace around that. But if the thought that's creeping into your head is like, I spent too much money on courses. I didn't do them. Like, Uh, it really takes you down. 
Yeah. It's very grounding. Yeah. I, I love that. And that's incredible. Congratulations on growing your revenue 76%. That is phenomenal. On a Thank similar you. note, how on earth did you wind up making a six figure uh, launch happen from a list of 2,500 people? And just so that everybody who's listening yeah. is clear, when we talk about launching, the way that it normally goes is the conversion rates, typical conversion rate, like a successful launch is somewhere between like two to 3% of your audience, right? Is that right or, or wrong? Yes. And even that sounds high because it's usually one to 2% of your launch list. So not right, your right. entire list. Like right. if you had, let's just say you had a thousand people, a lot of people will calculate one to 2% based on that. And they're like, okay, so I'm going to get 10 to 20 people. No, actually maybe a hundred people are going to join your launch, opt into your thing, and you're going to get one to two people. Yes, um, exactly. So, yeah. so tell us how you were able to do a six-figure launch with a list of 2,500 people. Okay. So I was capitalizing on some momentum that I already had, which was I had just come off a speaking engagement at Amy Porterfield's event. And I knew that the people on my email list knew that I was there and would want to hear what I was talking about. So I said like, Hey, I'm come to my webinar. I'm going to show you the talk and then I'm going to make an offer. And so I had a very high opt-in rate for that. It was something like 25% of my email list that signed up, which is very high. And um, I sent the promo whole promotion to everyone anyway. And one of the reasons why I did that amount of money was because it was a higher ticket thing. Like it was a group program that cost $3,500 or $6,500 if you got the VIP level, which like maybe five people did. Um, also, a lot of my people paid in full. Like when I say six-figure launch, like that was in the bank. That wasn't like payments that are coming to me over the next year. That was like yeah. money in the bank. So doing a higher ticket thing made a really big difference. I did sales calls. I told the price on the webinar. So everyone I got on a call with already knew what it was going to cost. I did not send like promo emails. I sent a couple of emails to my list to get on a call with me. And most people that got on a call did join. So uh, what I'm proud of with that launch was like not just the money side of it, but also it was the simplest launch I ever did. That is awesome. So, so cool. I had a Google Doc with the sales information in it instead of a sales page. I, I think that's even Doc. more impressive. Like just that fact <laughs> is even more impressive than how many people, how much money from the list because mm. that just shows to me when you're able to launch something well, sell something well, it really reflects on scaling intimacy, like how much you're able to connect with human beings. Mm -hmm. And that comes from having the confidence to own it, to know, like, I am going to provide value for you. Cause mm -hmm. what you really need is to help people say yes, right? You're just helping them yeah. to the yes. And, and that really helps. And I love how clear, like simple and clear, simple and clear mm -hmm. and effective. And you're so awesome. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can be part of your list part of your fan club okay so here's where you can find me if you go to tarzank.com slash kathy and remember it's kathy with a c if you go to tarzank.com slash kathy you will find a swipe file of like 10 or 12 promo emails that you can use if you're promoting a digital course so it's a promo sequence like what you would send out after the webinar it's like super customizable. You'll know exactly what to send and when to send it. It's a great swipe file. Tarzanke.com slash Kathy. That is so generous. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for all of it. You guys go follow her and you should take the quiz too. We will put the links in the show notes. So you can either go to tarzank.com or you can scroll down and grab it, but you're going to be there. Thank you for coming on today. I'm such a fan. Such a fan of yours. Talking to Tarzan was so fun. Here are the takeaways. Number one, you are a star, so own it. Number two, choose yourself. Show up and charge what your work is actually worth, even if no one gets it yet. Number three, your first email won't be great because great writers get better by writing. Number four, be real. It's more powerful to bring people on the journey with you. Number five, make a menu. Take the first step for your clients and customers. Number six, remove the emotional attachment to pricing. Put the price on it and test it. Number seven, price is fluid. It doesn't last forever. And number eight, you can have a simple launch with no sales page, no email sequence, and a list of less than 2,500 people. And still, you can have a six-figure launch. It really is so possible. All right, now let's put your wins in the spotlight. Julie posted in the Facebook group and she said, my Etsy shop was featured on the Side Hustle School podcast. It's episode 1,284. I actually learned about Side Hustle School through this podcast. Julie, that's so cool. I love that you found out about Chris Guillebeau and his podcast through our show and you took action to put yourself out there. That really takes courage. You guys you can go listen to Julie's episode on Chris's Side Hustle School podcast. It's an incredible show and Chris is one of the kindest people I know. So you're going to get hooked on his podcast because it's so good. You can also check out Julie's Etsy shop at Adventures Soap Co. And Adventures has an extra S at the end. Okay, the next win is from Leanne. She said, I finished my website and started my email marketing list to launch it in the next few weeks. I also booked my third design client this week. I launched my five-year side hustle as my full-time business when I was laid off from my full-time job due to COVID in March. I'm feeling really grateful that I can follow my dream and I love the encouragement of this group. Leanne, that's so cool. I can't believe how much momentum you're building. Most people would have thought, well, I'm gonna give up because I got laid off, but instead you turned all that on its head and made it into an opportunity to elevate your side hustle into a full-time business. That's amazing. Everyone, you can go give Leanne some love. Her Instagram is at life design with LA. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I know that your time is the greatest asset that you have and you're spending it here. So thank you for doing that. And, um, I'm just curious, did you like this episode? Do you feel like you learned something? Can you think of one person who might benefit from listening to this? If you can, go ahead and share it with them. You can text it to them or email or go ahead and share about this show in your Instagram story and tag me and I will reshare and I will thank you and I'll throw you into a big giveaway because I just want to say thanks for sharing the show and subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. It's free to subscribe and there's so many good episodes coming up. I cannot wait. I'll leave you guys with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Monday.
I've got the heart of a hero.